Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Our text today for our sermon comes from our epistle reading from 2 Timothy. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Everyone loves fall. The air is bracing and carries that certain tangy, sweet smell of fallen leaves. Mornings are cool and evenings are chilly. Orange and brown and yellow colors dominate, and the time of harvest generates feelings of contentment and accomplishment, even for city dwellers who do their harvesting mostly at the grocery store. Apples this time of year abound, covered in caramel and nuts and baked in pies and cobblers or straight from the orchard so crisp that they snap when you bite them and even hurt your teeth. There's college football. There's a World Series that is, well, sadly not nearly as relevant as it might have been. There are October fests and there are pumpkin patches. There are so many, so many reasons to love fall. Autumn is a time filled with great delights, and so everyone loves fall. But not Eileen. Eileen was a wise and respected woman of many years with a sunny personality, evident and sweet and sincere smiles that were worn before church and after church and typically almost the whole time in between. She was a happy lady. But Eileen hated autumn. She told me so very clearly during a pastoral visit many years ago now, where I saw fresh, invigorating air, stunning foliage, and earthy aromas. Eileen saw the unmistakable signs of death and decay. Falling leaves were dead. Rustling grass was dead. Bright blue skies brought killing frost. Fall smells were the smells of decaying plant matter. For Eileen, fall meant the 11th hour for all living things. Death was in the air. It was almost the end. She didn't like it. And I had to admit that she had a point. A kind, gentle, smiling great-grandmother had undone my favorite time of the year. I still love fall, but I never forget Eileen's take on the season, and my delight in the days have now been forever tempered. It is almost the end. The days hold a palpable note of melancholy. And so this seems to be the ideal time to consider Paul's words to young Timothy, recorded in our text. Second Timothy is the apostle's final letter 
written at the end of a long life that had been marked by significant accomplishments, remarkable joys, heartbreaking sorrows, shameful regrets, and an extraordinary amount of suffering in body and soul. Paul had lived through much and had faced imprisonment and trials many times before, but this time, things were different. He knew it. This time, he was chained in a dungeon. This time, for some reason, the church in Rome had all but deserted him. This time, he was not going to be released to continue his mission work. No, this time, the trial would end not with an acquittal, but with an execution. Paul could tell this was the end, or almost the end. This was the autumn of his life and ministry. And this is not the way we like to think about the great apostle. We picture Paul operating at full capacity, using all of his zeal for the sake of the gospel, traveling and writing and teaching and preaching, spreading the news of Jesus to the Gentiles. We picture Paul like that, not sitting in a cell contemplating death. But there is a wonderful consistency to Paul's story all the way to the end. Just after he had been converted at the very beginning of his ministry on that road to Damascus, Paul had heard God tell him, I will show you how much you must suffer for my name. And God did show him. And so Paul did suffer. God laid out a life course for Paul that was not easy. The apostle recorded his litany of suffering in his second letter to the Corinthians. 39 lashes, five times. Beaten with rods, three times. Shipwrecked, three times. Stoned and left for dead, once. And the list goes on. And so when Paul finally arrives at almost the end, when he arrives at his own autumn in a Roman prison, it is quite understandable that he would reflect back on just how much he had already endured in fulfillment of the Lord's bitter promise and for the sake of that holy name. And yet as Paul thinks back over his life as a believer in service to Jesus and to the Gentiles for whom Jesus had died, Paul regrets and resents none of the suffering. In fact, Paul's attitude is positively triumphant. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Indeed, he had. Paul had done what he had been given to do. The faith had been preserved. The course of a missionary life had been followed. The fight had been fought. All the agony had been endured. The crown of righteousness was waiting. Paul was sure that his own death was now at hand, but that reality did not challenge his trust in his Lord. That reality confirmed it. He could look back and celebrate. He could look forward with unshakable confidence. And Paul's confidence is remarkable. But still, there's something about his words that strike me as a bit odd. In fact, there's something about them that seems wrong. Listen again. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. You heard it. 
The problem is that repeated first-person singular pronoun. I, I, I. It almost sounds egocentric. Most Christian thinkers and writers are quick to insist that no true Christian can ever talk about achieving victory. We all know better than talking like that. When it comes to assigning credit for a completed race and a victory won, we know that we don't deserve it. We can't do what needs to be done. Christians, then, don't talk about finishing and fighting and winning, do they? Or maybe my problem with Paul's words is my own self-awareness that makes me so uncomfortable with his confident first-person singular statements. I know my own limitations, my temptations, my foibles, my failings, my sins. And so in the face of my own daily reality, Paul's words of confidence seem incredible, almost fanciful, or just plain impossible. How about you? Do you resonate with Paul's strong statements about fighting, finishing, and keeping? Are you ready, like Paul, to use first-person singulars the way that he did? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Can you say that? If it was your own personal autumn of life, would you be able to say what Paul said? It's not easy to be that confident and that certain, is it? Those first-person singulars are hard to use when claiming a victory. The words kind of catch in your throat. Sometimes the struggle of life takes its toll and you don't emerge triumphant. You wrestle and you don't come out on top. You grow weary of the restlessness. You grow weary of the grind of the routine. Too many meals to make. Too many schedules to organize. Too many bills to pay. Too many errands to run. Too many obligations to meet. Too many demands to fulfill. Too many people imposing their agendas on you. Too many rules, too much temptation, too much tension, too much pressure, too much hassle, too much pain, too much, too much, too much. It's not easy to stay on task. It's not fun having to grind out life. It's hard. It hurts. Paul can say, I have fought the fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. But my own first-person singular statements would have to be more like, I have cowered from the challenge. I have quit the race. I have compromised the faith. I have sinned. And what have you done? What verbs follow behind your first-person singular pronoun? Maybe the problem is that you're fighting the wrong fight. Instead of the good fight of faithfulness to God's will, is it possible that you're actually fighting instead for your own self-preservation and your own self-promotion? Instead of God's fight, are you caught up in the unending, impossible battle to justify yourself and to vindicate and affirm your own 
personal being and your own worth. When that's your fight, instinct will take over and you'll find yourself fighting ruthlessly to assert yourself and your ideas over others. You fight to defend yourself from any perceived threat to your personal identity and worth. You fight, along with everyone else who fights, doing what comes naturally and fighting to promote yourself and to advance your own expectations and your plans. It's the wrong fight. Fighting the fight of selfishness always ends in crushing defeat. So what have you been doing? What have you been doing lately? Have you fought the good fight, run the course God has given you to run, and kept the faith? Or have you fought for yourself, dropped out of the struggle to follow God's course, and neglected the faith? What have you done? Of course, the contrast between Paul and you and me is probably not as stark as I have drawn it. For all the confidence and certainty that Paul was expressing as he contemplated his own death, Paul was also a man who knew acutely the reality of his own limitations, his own failures and sins. Even after he had become a believer, Paul still knew the hard truth about his own inability and his own failing. He knew that he was the chief of sinners. He knew that he didn't do the good things he wanted to do, but all too easily did the evil things he did not want to do. He knew the score about his own performance. So then, how could he do it? How could Paul have such brash self-confidence to declare his accomplishments with those first-person singular pronouns? Well, Paul could do it because while he knew his sin, he also knew the one who had appeared to him, claimed him, and delivered him from all that sin. He knew his failure, but he also knew the one who had come to him and flooded him with stunning grace. When Christ met him and claimed him, everything changed for Paul forever. Everything he did after that, he did in the forgiving and empowering grace of Christ and Christ alone. You see, Paul had already died. Christ now lived in him. And so at his trial, when he was deserted by all men, Christ stood with him. And after he, that, and after he had won the fight, finished the course and kept the faith, Paul did not claim or take the crown of victory. No, God gave it to him. What we see in Paul here at the end of his life is the wonder of the core dynamic that drives the Christian faith for all of us. Paul was God's servant, given a fight to fight and a course to run. He had a responsibility to keep the faith by proclaiming that faith to Gentiles who had no idea what Christ had done for them. And it was Paul who was given that work to do, and it was Paul who did that work, and he worked hard at it. He did it with determined zeal until God brought his life to an end and said that it was time to finish. For Paul, there was no such thing as retirement. Paul lived with a razor focus on what he had been given to do, and he did that work no matter how much it demanded of him. 
And yet, all the while, that he was giving absolutely everything that he had to the work that he had been given to do, all the time he was doing that, he knew with absolute certainty that everything he was doing was only because of all that Christ had done for him and was going to do for him. Paul knew that he was not earning his crown of eternal righteousness, but he was most definitely working hard for the sake of that crown that Christ would give to him. And so you see, there's no problem at all with Paul's use of first-person singulars because, after all, he is the one fighting and finishing. But he does it all only by the grace and strength of Christ alone. This is the very heart and core of the Christian faith. Paul invests everything in doing what he had been given to do, and then he rests content in his faith, secure in the knowledge that what he does could never earn God's grace or the crown of righteousness. Everything is a gift given through Christ. Paul works and God gives. This is the great reality for Paul. And this is the great reality for you. You know your sin, you know your failure, it weighs heavily, but you also know that Christ has come and claimed you. At the baptismal fonts, at the communion rail, he comes and he forgives and he redeems and transforms and stands by you. He stands by you. It is as real for you as it was for St. Paul. Christ has come for you. And in the light of that reality, nothing is the same. In the light of that reality, the first person singular declarations are also fully redeemed. I cower, I quit, and I compromise, become, I fight, I run, I keep. Those are your verbs. I fight, I run, I keep. Claim those words. I fight, I run, I keep. There's nothing the least bit egocentric or proud about it. Like Paul's confident declarations, you also declare the reality of what your faithful Lord works in and through you in spite of your own inabilities and failures. It is true for you just as it was true for St. Paul. It is true for you today as you sit here in the reality of a St. Louis autumn with death waiting just around the corner. Today, you fight the good fight, you run the course, and you keep the faith. You live in faithfulness, doing what God has given you to do and delighting in the reality of God's grace to you in Christ. Through you, God does his work. Through you, he continues to reach those who still do not know his love and grace. And you know who those people are. When you care for them and speak to them and share God's truth with them, God, through you, finds them, claims them, and brings them into his church. God uses you. What was true for Paul is true for you. You fight, you run, you keep. You pour yourself into what God gives you to do until the day that your course is also finished. And on that day, God will give the crown of righteousness to you. Amen. Or God, when life is hard and we wrestle,
Come to us and give us grace so that we fight and we run and we keep the faith. Bring us to that last day with confident joy in you. We pray in Christ. Amen.